0: This
1: episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner.
0: And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 324, we're going to go for a pleasant stroll through an ancient forest that definitely doesn't want to kill us. Wait, do you hear singing? Is someone singing? Is there a concert here?
1: And joining us in this episode, uh, our choir of reviewers, if you will, Uh, a team of regulars, includes the Tome Show's monstrous ecologist, Jeremiah McCoy. Welcome back.
2: I want it noted for the record that I cannot carry a tune in a bucket <laughs> Second up is the Tome Show special, social media
1: manager Ishmael Alvarez. Welcome back, sir. Uh, g- glad to be back as always. I think we just chatted with you again last week.
3: Uh, no, I was not there. regrettably. oh, was, that's uh, right, that's right. Running Adventures League. That's Although right. uh, I'm eager to hear it because it's a, a subject near and dear to my heart.
1: Right. For those people listening, you've you've already heard it. It's the uh, the youth playing D&D with young people episode that Ishmael wanted to be in on, but couldn't make it. Uh, And lastly, but certainly not leastly, uh, a a one-time regular, back into regular rotation with us lately, uh, your friend and mine. It is Quinn Murphy. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back.
4: Good to be here.
5: Look,
1: mate. Three
5: generations ago, my ancestors forged the Great Blade Skull Splitter. With it, they won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars, the Orc Wars, the Demon Wars, the Elf Wars, and the Gelatinous Cube Wars. And that one doesn't even make sense, because they don't have skulls. Now all these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies, Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow and use the coupon code TOMESHOW with all little letters and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends.
0: So in this episode, we're going to be discussing a book published by Colbo Press that details a location in their Midgard setting that is an ancient and sentient forest, as well as a collection of adventures set in that forest. Tales of Old Margrave is a book available from 20 to $50, depending on if you want the PDF, the hardcover, or both. Later in this episode, we'll be chatting with the lead designer of the book, Matt Corley, so stay tuned for that. And in interest of disclosure, who's working from a version of the book and who got review copies? So I just want to say real quick, I got a review copy.
1: Okay, and what what you got a the PDF, the hardcover, or what? I got the PDF. Okay, so Tracy's working from a review copy of the PDF. Anybody else got a review
4: copy? I got a review copy of the PDF, and 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 and, and like spoiler, like actually, uh, after getting my review copy, it was like, oh, I should, you know, I need to review this in hardcover. I went out to go try and get a hardcover, but my local. Friendly Gaming Store didn't have it oh.
5: um,
4: there, but I would I would have had a hardcover of that. So okay. uh, th- that's a spoiler on my opinion. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think but, uh, Ishmael, Jeremiah,
1: and myself all backed the Kickstarter for it. Is that right?
3: Yeah. That is correct uh, for me, yes.
1: Okay, so I got just the, the PDF version. Did either of you get the hardcover?
2: Uh, I got the hardcover. So I got the hardcover PDF version uh and uh roll 20 version
1: okay mm-hmm.
2: so you've got anything and everything that has to do with this so- uh there were there was uh, a couple of uh options above that I didn't get but <laughs> I, I, I i like i i got the roll 20 cuz i actually run a game on the roll uh 20 system and i was like well it'd make it easier so
1: All right,
3: there you go i'll allow it you're welcome it's, uh... Curious to note that when they started the Kickstarter, they were just going to do the hardcover and the Roll20 and or Fantasy Grounds. Mm-hmm. And so many people clamored for the PDF that they decided to add it after the fact.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I was one of them because I was one of those people who's like, well, <laughs> I will I will kickstart and back anything that Cobalt Press does. But I don't want physical books anymore. All I want is digital and, and I'm not interested in virtual tabletop. So, you yeah. know, it's PDF or nothing for me. Yep. So when they added it, I jumped on. All right, so let's, let's talk about the book then. Um, let's start off with a general sort of overview. What is Tales of the Old Margrave about? What is this book?
2: Who wants to um, take it? Jeremiah. Uh, yeah. I, um, the Tales of the Old Margrave is a collection of adventures that are loosely linked by location and theme. They don't actually have a consistent through line. For the most part, there are a couple of adventures that tie into each other, but it doesn't have a through line. There's no consistent plot. It just has similar themes and uh, a, a rather expansive setting and includes a gazetteer for the Marguerite Forest, a forest that is stretching 30,000 square miles.
1: Right. And it's mm. worth noting that while while it's largely described as a collection of adventures, and that is largely what it is, that gazetteer that takes place over the course of, of you know what three chapters or so, um, it's o- it's over fifty pages. It's about fifty pages of a hundred and what eighty eighty something page book. Um, yeah. So it's a significant chunk of the book. It's not just a, a collection of adventures. That's actually one of the things I ended up being surprised at uh, recently, as I did my deeper read through, was um, there's a there's as much useful, interesting information for just using the Margreve as a location here, even if you don't want to run the adventures.
4: Yeah, I mean, you 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 can like, I mean, there is uh, something to be said for like having, like you could pay for like just the gazetteer
2: um, mm-hmm. uh, alone, just like the setting part of it. They do actually have a player's guide mm-hmm. uh, that That's was true. produced at the same time that is just the player's options for Margreve. That includes uh, three new druid circles, uh, one of which is written by the guy who created druids in D&D in the first place, Uh, and three new ranger, uh, a new rogue subclass, two warlocks, a wizard, a cleric, and two barbarian paths, Mm. as well as three new races that you can play.
1: Yeah, they've actually got a uh, they got to have sort of a whole suite of uh, Margreve products that you can get. So you're right. There's the player's guide. There's this book that we're discussing. But you can also download for free a map of the region, a, a high quality PDF map of the region. You can get uh, their pawns for. I think I'm looking at the store now. It's twenty six dollars for their. You know, you can print off all the monsters you might need. Uh, and then there's also a map pack you can get of, of a big collection of maps that you can use. Um, beyond the book. So there's a a whole suite of sort of support things that came out because the Kickstarter was successful and they kept adding new things.
2: Sure.
1: So other thoughts regarding sort of um, what this book is about.
3: So what I took away from it is that it was a really well-encompassed micro setting. So, you could take it and transport it anywhere. It mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily have to be in Zobek, though it does have ties to Zobek. But um, they did a really good job of just like, hey, you want to run adventures just in Margrave? You can do that. And mm-hmm. they give you enough information where you could just like, you know, at least have a campaign centered in or, or primarily through uh, uh, old Margrave and... uh they did a really good job of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, uh, Cobalt Press uh, goes big or goes home, and, and they went big with this one with all kinds of options and, and maps, as you mentioned, and like every bell and whistle. So, um, they did a really good job of being like extremely evocative of the setting. It's very like Grimm's fairy Tales, very like uh, Black Forest kind of like,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, you know, it's it's a huge living organism basically, uh, that you can play in, and uh, that's kind of.
1: Yeah, there's actually a lot of um, – you, you kind of got a little bit into sort of the usage of the, the product as well in terms of you could take Margrave and transport it to other settings and what have you, right? Um, and, and I think you could, do, you could handle that multiple ways and I'm kind of curious how people um, might think about using it because like I absolutely got the same impression, especially reading through those first few chapters that are sort of the gazetteer of, of the region. Like I could easily – Take Margreve and I could play it in Zobek as a micro setting or I could move it into another setting uh, and all of that would work well. On the other hand, you can also take the adventures and be like, well, I just – I need a, a weird dark fantasy grim fairy tale uh, forest adventure and I can put it in whatever sort of dark forest happens to be in my setting uh, and and pull those out and use those that way too. Um mm. So, so I feel like it has different types of uses like that. Tracy, you want to say something?
0: Um, one of the things that really struck me about it, going back to like that Dark Grimm setting you're talking about, is that so it talks about being um, founded or rooted in the uh, Eastern European type mm-hmm. uh, myths and legends and fairy tales, and I did see a difference than what I see like later on when people started. Uh, I don't know how to put it, uh, softening Grim, Grimm's fairy tales because mm-hmm. the original ones were dark and twisted and just sometimes in ways that, you know, other backgrounds wouldn't expect. And then we suddenly... And also had a strong presence of women in them. Mm-hmm. And there was... I found wow. that a lot in the book too.
2: Yeah, the um, the the fairy tales that this ties into uh, and the themes, the sort of uh, fairy tales, is, it's not the... We're fairly familiar with, like, the Western European, the Fair Folk uh, kind of presentation in d d This is much more like Russian. Uh, right. uh, so much so that mm-hmm. Baba Yaga actually shows up. But uh, it, Baba Yaga, you know, most people, if you say Baba Yaga, they'll probably think of John Wick at this point. Because <laughs> most people have not, in fact... Read any of those stories, in, in 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 the West, those stories are dark. They are kind of confusing from our standpoint. Uh, Babiaga is both a good guy and a bad guy at times, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that that flavor of fair folk story. This is much more, um, um oh, Neil Gaiman kind of fair folk mm. story. This isn't uh, this isn't the the, the fairies are silly no, no 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 fairies fair folk can be fantastical perhaps a bit surreal but they are definitely as scary as anything else in the indie as far as monsters mm-hmm. go at this this adventure more this collection of adventures more than anything i've seen printed for 5e really drives that home mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And if, and I also is kind of building off that a little bit. If and anyone's interested in trying to see an example of that difference, I think looking at the history of Little Red Riding Hood um, is really good, Like, and how the tale has been told differently through the generations uh, can help illuminate the differences that, that are nuanced and, and sometimes hard to grasp right away.
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, the um, uh of the Beautiful and a, a few of the others... Uh, the some classically sort of tie into that Uh, darker themes in the old stories. And we sort of soften them when they brought them over to the West. But the, the original stories are super dark and interesting. Like they're compelling and have themes that are deeper than you would expect from a fairy tale.
4: Yeah. And I mean, and just sort of piggybacking on that, it's like uh, it's really cool that this is sort of like a, a book about like sort of playable dark fairy tales, like like you don't have to just like be passive or read them. that you can sort of, they um, they all have that sort of menace, and, like like there there's a that tone um, that carries uh, through them, like pretty much all the the adventures that's in the setting. That's like really, uh, I, I don't I, I can't think of. Uh, Definitely I can't think of an adventure anthology or, or even adventure right now that sort of captured that tone quite like this, which is kind of cool.
2: Yeah.
1: Right on. Uh, so we've been talking sort of about these dark stories and adventures, dark fantasy, grim fairy tale sort of uh, stories that you can play through, uh, as Quinn pointed out, and, and it allows this sort of interactive um, way to experience th- those kinds of narratives. Uh, there's like, what, 10 or 12 adventures in this in this product?
2: Uh, does anybody have a favorite that they thought was particularly interesting? Um, I think the, the Baba Yaga one is probably my favorite. Okay, what's the title uh, of that one? Uh, let me pull it up because I've got it in front of me. Uh, the title on that one is... Grandmother's fire? Yeah, I think it's grandmother's <laughs> fire. Um, the uh, it, it it's you're dealing with Baba Yaga as her classic sort of Russian presentation of both villain and ally. Like she wants you to do something that's probably in your best interest, and she'll you know skin you and eat you if you don't. So mm-hmm. that 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 is super compelling. Uh, you know stakes.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. So, so what? What do you do uh, if you want to get a little more, more detail and, and don't mind being a little spoilery? What do you? What, what is it about that adventure that you that you like? Uh, you know, what are you doing there? Um.
2: So the actual uh, breakdown here is that uh, uh, someone has stolen the fire from Baba Yaga's stove and she tells you, you have to go get it back. And if Baba Yaga tells you, you have to do something, (laughs) you have to do something. And the person who stole it, stole it because he was in love with someone and wanted to uh, save them. And it's a tragic fairy tale. I mean, I'm not going to spoil the adventure, but uh, there are werewolves, uh, uh, there are ghouls. Uh, there are uh, voidyanoi. You've got uh, and, and,
1: and so people know that's a, a midgard,
2: um, yeah, creature or whatever. Right, and there's a a, a basically as well. So, uh, it you have a lot of really flavorful, flavorful, interesting, uh, creatures, and the story conflict is not just, I need to go kill a monster. I need to solve this problem that hinges on a tragic romance. And that's really cool to me. I think that's a classic fairy tale yeah. that and, you're playing in. And,
1: and, and romance is uh, is a, a staple of fairy tales, particularly tragic romances, uh, and not something that shows up very often in uh, D&D adventures, in my experience.
2: Right. Uh, at, at, you know, the... Uh, uh, but yeah, the the it, it it combines all of the 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 elements I think a good uh, sort of dark Russian fairy tale adventure should have. You know, you've got uh, the classic crone. There are several crones in the stories, in, in all of them,
4: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, uh, not in all of them, but there, in a number of the adventures, there are crones of various type. Baba Yaga is just the big one. <laughs>
1: Okay. Anybody else have a favorite adventure you want to talk about?
4: Uh I, I actually really found myself um kind of uh like uh kind of uh in love with the first one, The Hollow. Um, I really liked how it was this kind of like it was like kind of this like um almost like kind of like fantasy horror sort of um you know serial killer like you know mm-hmm. the hollow man uh you know the the sort of uh uh you know this uh can can i be a little spoilery yeah I absolutely set up okay all right like you know uh, there is the um this uh the scene tree i believe it was uh mm-hmm. sort of going mad and sort of drives you know the the players come in and and uh the sort of song of this sort of uh Evil tree is like driving the animals mad, and they're like you know there's just like sort of this crazy animal madness going wild. That is in really fitting with sort of what we sort of uh, you know when you look through the gazetteer of sort of the kind of things that Margrave can do sort of or wildness and everything that it does. And then uh, but then uh, and that's sort of like the harbinger of this sort of weird uh, killer tree kind of thing, the hollow man coming in and, and it like, it's like happens over six days. It's like this event based adventure where it sort of comes into town and, you know, comes in and like, looks to take heads back. So it's trying to like um, feed this sort of it's evil, like tree uh, to help it evolve. And the players have to, you know, they, they, you know, it's this creature that's like way stronger then, you know, it's like a first level adventure. So it's like, and it's like a, you know, a way stronger creature than they can do without any sort of help or things. So they have to sort of find some clever way to do it. And it's sort of part mystery, Mm -hmm. um, part sort of horror. Um, I just like, and I like a lot of the sort of staging advice there. If there's one thing that I thought was a little bit of a flaw um, and... Uh, and, and and maybe I, I, I missed, I, I don't think I did, but uh, there is a, there's this thing where sort of in heroic fantasy, where players just tend to think that they can just fight the thing or do it. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't enough good staging advice to sort of, like like, as far as I could tell, like, it seemed like maybe the only way to, like, know that you couldn't fight the thing was to, like, get put into dying status by it right, like, right. like i'm gonna go fight the thing and it smacks you down and goes no and you're like okay got it right you know and that might be you know and and for for the very persistent players that might be even more of a problem you know you might might be looking at like a, a potentially a dbk before people like go okay we can't fight that thing um but uh with cooler heads prevailing um that's not so much of an issue that that's like a possible But otherwise, I liked a lot of the staging advice and the way sort of it unfolds over the the Uh six days, like a a horror movie. So I like
2: that. I do love the description in the text of the the thing that hunts them, the Hollow Man. Yeah. Uh, It's uh, the village plagued by a wooden construct called a Hollow Man made of trees and spit and baby's tears. (laughs) Yeah. That is – oh, oh, okay then.
1: (laughs) Yep, (laughs) <laughs> that lets you know just what kind of a story we're dealing with here.
4: Yeah. 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 And, and there's just lots of good, like, um, you know, uh, uh, flavor um, and, and stuff. on, And, there, you know, like not, like even like old, like Hollow Man, uh, the, you know, nursery rhymes there, um, you know, that they include in the like, like lots of stuff that you can kind of uh, you sort of, you know, sort of spit out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, as as a g, as like I always look at these things from a GM's eye because that's pretty much like all I end up doing. <laughs> um, so, so you know, like I'm always kind of like, how does this adventure give me enough prompts and make my life easier? Like, give me like cool bits when I spit out to player. It makes the world feel real and the you know and sort of like they're like, ooh, that's like a really good detail. And I, you know, they're like, wow, you came up with that on your own. It's like, oh sure I did, but no, <laughs> in, the in the book, right? Um and then they have like a lot of those like little like sort of details that you can sort of pluck out and and, and toss out there. So, so 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 that that's some of the stuff I liked about that. Hang on. Anybody else have a favorite you
1: they
3: want to talk about? Um so I did I won't call it my favorite, but it's one that I thought was interesting. It's the uh, Vengeful Dragon. It's the very last one.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and I actually remember it from the older uh, Tales of Margrave that they did prior to this. Like, a lot of these adventures, or a handful, I guess, uh, were written before for, I want to say, Pathfinder. Yes. And have been kind of updated. Uh, and this is one of them. And uh, although this is a really cool adventure, uh, you get to fight a three-headed dragon and, and who wouldn't want to do that. Um and you, well, you, you any, anybody defend, with sanity, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you had any sanity, you wouldn't be an adventurer. Right? Sure, I suppose. Um, but uh, anyhow, you also get to kind of work with the Margrave itself. Like that's the kind of the conceit of the adventure. Like you wouldn't be able to win if you didn't have the forest support uh, right. to kind of help you. But um, it was a little problematic when they first wrote it. Uh, and I'll just say that the dragon went for a fair maiden for all the wrong reasons. And they kind of revised that here, which I'm glad about, Mm. um, to where whatever the reasons they had before now, it's like, she stole from the dragon's hoard, or at least the dragon thinks that. And so that's his, that's the dragon's, uh, motivation for going after her. And that's how you, you uh, get involved as characters and so on. And I like that they changed that because I think it needed to be changed.
5: Yeah.
3: Um, uh, and there's, there's still like a little bit of text in there that kind of points to the uh, somewhat pro- problematic uh, motivations that they had put in before, but uh, I'm glad that they at least thought to change it because, again, I, I thought it was probably a, a better choice.
1: It's an interesting... Uh, I'm trying not to compare this product to um, other products that have recently been published, but this idea of... Um, loosely thematically connected series of adventures um, is kind of in the in the air for game design right now. Right, uh, uh, Ghosts of Salt Marsh is sort of the same thing, and, uh, <laughs> yep. and, and you know what have you. So um, this is a thing that's happening, right? People publishing series of, of short adventures and what have you. And it's interesting to me to hear uh, Ishmael, hear you describe the way in this one they took things that didn't maybe weren't the best idea the first time around and they didn't feel compelled to stick with it they went ahead and revised things and changed things and whatever um when in salt marsh they didn't right they they stayed fairly true they may have added to some of those adventures but they stayed fairly true to, the, to those adventures um and, and that's particularly interesting because they were both done by cobalt press cobalt press uh was licensed huh. out, uh, or it was the studio that worked on Saltmarsh for Watsi. But I imagine mm-hmm. they had certain restrictions from Watsi, right? They didn't have complete control to do what they wanted uh, necessarily. So I just th- found it an interesting sort of juxtaposition.
2: So I, yeah. I, I will say that the, the collection of adventures thing is more useful to me as a DM than mm. a, a long campaign arc. Mm. Um, because I'm running a game and often... I'm doing my own stories that have nothing to do with the campaign arcs that I might be playing around with. Uh, And sometimes I want to change things up. And having an adventure I can just drop in of the appropriate level is great. That's what I did with this one. I I had my characters get up to third level. And as a sideline from a mostly dragon heist-themed adventure that I'm running in Zobek, I put them through an adventure, uh, the Vengeful Heart the Uh one that is third level because the characters were third level and they've been enjoying it and having that option of just having something I can grab and drop in that Mm. makes sense. See, as a,
1: as a DM, I oftentimes don't want that except for when I do. (laughs) So if that makes sense, right. (laughs) I like, I like having a large story or at least, uh, a product that inspires me to a particular story and this didn't necessarily do that for me but i'll tell you what i've gone through the adventures and been like oh this this and this these are going to be new faction quests in my dragon heist campaign you know oh the emerald enclave is going to ask him to deal with this thing and the harpers are going to send him in this direction and and i'll just you know send him to a forest near Waterdeep, uh, and it'll still work out pretty well i think so um, so I think there's a place for it, but I, li- I like having uh, I guess a combination of both right I like having the long story arcs and then I like using these short little things to inject into those large campaigns to to give it a twist so it's not necessarily what somebody who's read the book would expect.
4: see, see I want I, I want to I use I want to inject a setting um, like that like the sort mm-hmm. of Margrave like the forest in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know like it's like as a character I will my, my one of my favorite, quotes from the book uh, like our earth from the Casatier section of the book um talking about Margrief. it is in many ways like any other creature with a notable exception that it is the size of a country right. Right? <laughs> a massive form. <laughs> which, is, which is a notable exception but like but i feel like the, the the way that they sort of talk about its goals its personality how mm-hmm. it can like you know when you spill um you know when you spill your blood in it it's like remembers you and it can like connect you Mm -hmm. to like others who are related to you when they spill blood and like you know it retains the memories like this like enchanted place like it just feels like it's a place that i want to have exist Mm -hmm. in like like a homebrew kind of they they even
1: kind of gave it a stat block except for the parts that would allow you to kill it right
4: Right, exactly. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, it's like like a stat block, but no hit points. All right. right. No, actually,
1: yeah. I, I was I wanted to talk about that section, that was those first few chapters, a little bit, and, and that's a good transition into it, um, because that's one of the things that I found that I really liked having having being somewhat familiar with Midgard, but having not dug into it too deeply uh, at this point, I I found that to be really intriguing. The concept that the Margrave isn't just an old forest inhabited by ancient weird sort of alien creatures that are, you know, sometimes malevolent, sometimes trickstery and sometimes helpful. Um, but is the forest itself, like it remembers, it is alive. And, and, and even that's like weird and vague and whatever, like, you know, is it, is it like um, there was a, in the underdark of the forgotten realms, There is a giant sentient fungus called Aramachos, um that is featured in out of the abyss. But it's not really like you can't talk to it and whatever, so it's kind of like that, but way more like interactive. Uh, and you can't mm-hmm. walk through a fungus very easily, but you can definitely walk through a forest. Um, I don't know. There's something about that concept that it, it almost seems, um, I don't know, proto Tolkien to me. You know, <laughs> um, uh, there's a there's some. It, it's a really interesting concept that I that I'm, I'm tempted to play around with.
2: The the uh, you- the the. the- Phrase that I kept returning to when I was describing what the Margrave was like to my players, you know, having the knowledgeable NPC spout information about Margrave so they knew what they were getting into uh-huh. was: this forest is older than gods. That says something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That I mean, and 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 it's true. It's not just like it feels really old and. and you as a person don't have a way of really comprehending just how old it is. It is a force literally older than gods. Yeah.
3: And to me, I I kept going back to the idea of it being like just shy of Lovecraftian in scope.
1: Yeah.
3: It's this vast living entity that is like very difficult to comprehend in its wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, it lives and thinks on a scale that you know a, a player character, let alone you know any 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 sentient being, could really um, encompass in their mind. So, like to me, it could it could have been something Lovecraftian, but it was just familiar enough that it wasn't quite there. It wasn't yeah. quite alien, although it's on the verge of that. Yeah,
1: it's, it's awfully close. And and I, I imagine that's a careful line they have to walk, because Midgard mm-hmm. has some Lovecraftian uh, horror going on in it, and so you don't want it to bleed into that territory and, and confuse people or make them think that they're connected in some way that maybe they're not supposed to be. Um,
2: but yeah, they, I, think, I think they did it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find myself thinking about Different campaign settings I could work it into. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to work this into, say, Ravnica. Uh, <laughs> well, sure, it's a big city. <laughs> yeah, uh, but there are certainly some Magic planes that I've uh, that that have been used in the past that you could probably just, you know, file the the, the serial numbers off on this, and this would be just fine for mm-hmm. one of those more forested planes. Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: um, you know, I, I I am I'm gonna. I'm going to stretch the Ravnica thing. I could see this being some like crazy, like, you know, like that, like, like a version of a Margrave being like some crazy Simic experiment gone horribly (laughs) awry. You're like, okay, this is like, no, no, this would be great. Like we could just get like everything like living and like, whoa, we'll have the sentient forest. We can use it for this. Oh, oh. Okay, right, you know, <laughs> like, you know, right. like, like oh, we're gonna need help with this, right? Like, you know, you can, like, use elements of it. It's like, maybe that, but yeah, like, uh, they, that they, was the first thing that came in, but.
1: And they accidentally drew out some sort of sentience of the planet itself into the forest, and. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, and, and it starts, and it starts, like, growing out of control. And then, like, <laughs> they have this, and then, like, the Simic are trying to stop it, and then the Gruul are, okay, I'm, like, getting really, like, me deep in
2: Ravnica here, but you know, like the Gruul <laughs> could
4: be like the gruel could be like on the side of the forest as it like tries to take over the city.
2: Absolutely, know, but, yeah. I I that I did mention there were two new barbarian paths. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure you can toss in the the uh, the Gruul as a faction in there, and it'd be fine. And uh, the fact that the the write up of the setting ha- includes status. With the forest,
4: yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. So you
2: could, true. you could actually have. Oh, this uh, person is a member of this faction, the Gruul, or or what have you, and and then or uh, the, um, oh, my brain just drew a blank on their name. Not the Gruul, the the nicer, uh, forest people,
4: Slesnia.
2: Oh, Yeah. 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 yeah uh, the you're a or Slesnia, you get so many points. With the forest, with the, it, yeah. likes, it likes you. Oh, you're those guys who like to experiment and blow things up. Is it? Not so much with the status. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think
1: that works well. And, and the more we talk about Margreve, the more I'm, I'm tempted in my own campaign to not just port out some of these adventures and put them in a nearby forest uh, around Waterdeep, but to somehow figure out how Margreve could be there, too, and not completely... You know, change the the setting, and I have some ideas uh, that are specific to my campaign where I think that could work. So I might I might get I might have to play around with that. That that that'll be something for me to talk about on behind the DM screen next month.
2: Uh, Yeah, Uh, I I think the um, one thing that a a game master should be aware of because I have failed at this after having run some stuff in it, and it's easy to to sort of miss it. The the setting itself, the forest has a bunch of special rules for things like what happens if you cast spells,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. uh, because the spells work a little differently in the forest. And And the the
1: forest like absorbs the
2: magic, right? Right. And you know, it's possible that it, you know, one of your players is in fact not liked by the forest and there are things that happen and Mm -hmm. it's an extra thing to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to. I mean, you're not required to. But to sort of drive home how spooky and weird this forest is, that's why those things are there.
1: Well, and some of those things are bits where, in my mind, that's where you can see the conversion from Pathfinder coming out. Because Pathfinder and 3.5 before, it sort of was more likely to sort of embrace that complexity Sure. Um, whereas uh, the later editions of d d were like, yeah, let's try to like worry less about that kind of crazy complexity and streamline things a little bit. But I mean, you can still do it, obviously, in d d because this does it. But that's where I think that where some of that comes from. Right. Um, sure.
4: Yeah. yeah I, I found myself looking at like I liked those extra bits, but also because of that complexity, I, I found myself going like like I, I, I was thinking to myself that if already like using that, I would want to actually make it some sort of situational, like not an all time thing, not every time you cast a spell. Okay. What are the rules on that spell? But like, uh-huh. you know, there's like, there's kind of like, you know, um, you know, a bad moon out. Right. And so now, okay. Like this, th- there's some effect on your spelling, like, especially because a uh, Margrave sort of has this personality and sometimes will like just mess with you. Uh-huh. Right like in like no you like like oh take it personally because it was messing with you specifically right like mm-hmm. you know it was like like i mean they talked to like they talk about all the crazy things the forest will do like you know like if it if it really doesn't like you it'll like starve you out like make it so like it'll like height it'll move brooks so you can't get water <laughs> or, like you know like i mean it will me- i mean and and why if it messes with you to that extent right, like chases away all the game, so you can't hunt, you know, like hides all the, you know, berry bushes and stuff. Um, you know, it might as well, like every once in a while, hey, I'm going to siphon off your spell energy. I'm going to do that. And sort of you can sort of, you know, tailor your grief uh, <laughs> right. from the forest uh, so,
3: so.
4: rather than do it all the
3: time. So it can turn you into Tantalus from Greek mythology.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I, I don't know the Tantalus story.
3: Oh, just and like uh, he he was cursed uh, in Hades, where there'd always be like food on a branch above him, but when he'd reach it, would like move out of the way. Oh, yeah, and the water would always come up to his neck, but when he would like lower himself to drink it, it would like go down. I see. So it's like exactly that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that seems to fit. Yeah, uh, and uh, there are sections of the forest that are just yeah, don't go there. <laughs> like the Western Heart, if you're there and the forest doesn't want you to be there, that's going to be a bad day for you.
1: Yeah, but players are going to do what they're going to do, as I learned when my first level players dug their way into the Underdark. Right, Jeremiah?
2: It it made sense at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Anybody have any last thoughts on Tales of the Old Marguerite before we uh, toss it to the interview?
0: Um. I- couple of quick things. Yeah. I, I know you guys were talking a lot, so I wasn't sure um, exactly how much we covered it was the idea that there are often choices you make and they're mutually exclusive.
2: Okay, so you might
0: decide play. to help one group and that will hurt you with another. And it's not just mm-hmm. the forest there yeah. are other people yeah. that are like, there are other groups that also you are working within there that um, you might impact.
1: Mm. So there's, there's choices that characters have to make that actually have consequences. Uh, in that kind of way, right?
0: Right. Um, And then, and sometimes they have consequences not only to, like, those groups that I was talking about, but to the entire world or, you know, magic items might change as these decisions are made and stuff like that. Um, And then we skipped over to the gazetteer section. I was going to talk about Blood and Thorns real quick. Oh, okay, yeah. Absolutely.
1: And
0: and the reason I wanted to bring it up is because it's an adventure that begins at a wedding. So... Um, it's definitely a place to add more social elements and mm. to really bring out the setting. Um, and then on top of it, because it is—I uh, think it was for seventh level, yeah—characters. Uh, okay. There's, there is, it's like a wedding, and it starts out with something that seems kind of small, but it could have, depending on whether the what the adventurers decide to do about it, could have world impacting consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, if they don't succeed, that I thought was really cool because you don't sometimes we have a hard time uh figuring out appropriate types of consequences in the world or changes to the world for as the characters get in levels that i thought was cool
1: yeah that's awesome yeah no i i I haven't done my research yet but i mentioned that i've I've looked through the book for the, through the lower level adventures to see which ones I can pull out for my dragon heist campaign. Uh, but my plan is for the dragon heist campaign to transition into a curse of Strahd campaign. And I think there's a whole bunch of mm. others that could very easily be side quests in Barovia.
0: Mm.
1: Oh yeah. yeah. That, that would be interesting. Yeah. And, and now I'm thinking about a Barovian wedding. So <laughs> we'll have to see, <laughs> we'll have to see where, they, where I can th- throw everything uh, for a twist.
0: And then the last thing I think we should talk about is the artwork. Because mm-hmm. it has a particular style, obviously, and um, I'm not sure if these are pieces that were used in previous books or not, but they're pretty consistently styled, I felt. Um, but there's a lot of interesting and evocative artwork within mm-hmm. it, uh, including some things that were kind of cool. I've, I don't know what type of creature it is, but I know there's just this uh, female, huge creature that has, you know, a what, Boussier. What, what page are you looking and, at? I, I, I'm i trying to find the, the page again. I just saw it when I was flipping through. Oh, it's page 114 in the Griffin Adventure.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just kind of like...
1: <laughs> it's random. kind of like, like an orc with extra spikes yeah, on it, right? Uh,
2: I, I, I think that's uh an ogre. Yeah, okay. it's an ogre chieftain. Sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah.
0: stuff like that in there, and a lot of the um, more uh, plant creatures have been really cool to look at, too.
1: Plus you have that cute little picture of the baby griffins. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you get a whole a whole range of, of creatures.
2: Yeah, uh, and the cover has the best uh, art for an owlbear I've ever seen.
1: <laughs> oh, that's
2: probably fair, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, the... Uh, I think the uh, take home on this one uh, that I'll reiterate is the, the setting drives home that uh, fairy tales do not have to be silly.
4: <laughs>
2: that uh, fanciful does not equal silly. Sometimes fanciful can be kind of terrifying if you just stop and think about it. Like there's a, an, a one-off mention of a poker game that you can join at the Bluebell Inn that trades things like souls, like you do, or or your dreams, or your memories of a year, or something actually kind of terrible if you think about it. And there's mm-hmm. it's filled with stuff like that. There's also another thing. Uh, Look at the the random roll tra- charts. They are filled with here's yes. a story idea. Yes, uh, Just, like right here is a completely com- 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 you know ca- encapsulated idea for a story in a single roll.
5: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah, uh,
4: yeah, you, you 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 totally beat me to that. I was going to actually uh-huh. mention that. Thing, like like I think the uh, the uh, random encounter tables were like chef kiss. Mm-hmm like they're like <laughs> you like they're like it's, it's no there's there's no like there there's I, I think there might be like a very trace amount of like oh this is two to six like goblins there but like all the rest are like he like here's a creature and here's this like goals and motivation and like some situation that you come into and it, it, it's just like jeremiah's saying it's like it's uh, that that's like one, like consistent throughout is like one of my favorite bits.
1: And suddenly your random encounter becomes a side quest it,
4: it, within, yeah. the, within the side quest that you're already on. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you could, <laughs> you could pick up any of these things and like you could run these and like turn them into a thing. Uh-huh. There, you know, if, you, if your players lash onto it,
2: there's an entry on on an NPC table. These are just random. You could run into them at a bar. A young Raven folk male claims to be his Feathered Majesty, Tree Prince Gagawa. A Deposed Prince of Morgao, Ravenfolk. He offers anyone who will listen a large share of his princely treasure he will soon have if someone will lend him some money to help him regain his (laughs) revival lands and uh, fiefdom. Wait, wait, wait.
1: Did they just put a Nigerian prince in there?
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But can you imagine? You could have an entire side quest just off of that, that one description. Sure. <laughs> I, th- I could make a whole campaign based off of that description. <laughs> I mean, and, and they're like uh, almost all of them are like that,
4: right?
2: Mm-hmm. Right. That's so, awesome. I mean, it's,
4: yeah. I mean, it, yeah. At the very least, it is sort of uh, instructive of like what you could, what you can really do with a random encounter table, rather than just sort of like, oh, there, here's some monsters, mm-hmm. right? Like <laughs> you can sort of use it to inject like life and, like, all these sort of, like, weird forks into a game. So, yeah. Very good. Plus, plus. plus, plus.
1: All right. If, if people are ready, then I'm going to go ahead and, and toss this to the interview with Matt Corley. Does anybody else have any last thoughts you want to squeeze in before I do that? Say I hi have to just, Matt.
2: <laughs> I heard two
1: voices at once. I have no idea what you said.
2: Sorry, go ahead. I said say hi
1: to Matt. Oh,
3: okay. Ishmael? <laughs> I have... Three things that I want to talk on, uh, touch on real quickly. All I right. love the, that the, the forest itself is differentiated. So there's different places that have different feelings. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like you're in one big homogenous forest. Mm-hmm. That's one point. Two points, it really feels like a Cobalt Press uh, product. Like it's just uh, very evocative of their style and kind of how they can uh, make a product feel like one person wrote it, even though that's not the case. And uh, number three... Um, I love that they include new Fey because there are very few of those in D anD D as mm. it stands. But it is kind of uh, frustrating that the monsters aren't all in one place
1: because they're scattered around for each adventure where they pop up.
3: Yeah, and then there's like a mini theory at the at end the too, end, which yeah. is kind of weird. Yeah,
1: yeah, that is kind of strange. But yep, that's true. And I and I, and I mentioned I compared it earlier to. Um, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and I think there's another place where I could compare it in that I, I feel like I could more easily take Saltmarsh because it has a, a central you know its gazetteer location is can be used as sort of a as a, a base of operations to then go out and do the different things. I think I could turn Saltmarsh into a salt marsh campaign more easily than i could probably do with margreave like i could do a campaign where i run each of these adventures but i don't know that i could that i would want to use this and make a whole margreave themed campaign out of it um so and, and and it's a it's a fine line right it's, a, it's I'm, I'm i'm nitpicking i guess a little bit and it's not even a nitpick because it's not a bad thing it's just a difference um mm-hmm. but but i feel like i would have a harder time making a whole margreave themed campaign based out of this so
3: it would take more work. I think so.
1: I agree. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and throw the episode to either Tracy or I. We haven't figured out who's going to do the interview with Matt Corley, uh, who is the lead designer uh, for Tales of the Old Margrave. So take it away, whoever it is on the other side. All right. And we are back. Uh, it is myself and Tracy. Tracy, say Hi.
0: Hi.
1: And we are with Matt Corley, who was like the guy in charge of wrangling all the cats that made Margrave possible. Is that about right? Is that the title?
6: <laughs> the cats of the Margrave. That is yeah, the one. The you yes, the have cats in there. So oh that's,
3: yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> absolutely. Tracy, wanted why don't you start wrangler. us
6: off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know you know what I do it in my day job too, and I, I, I don't know why I haven't learned my lesson, but yeah, I, I hurt cats on a daily basis.
0: Thanks. Um, um, I want to ask more questions about that because it sounds like maybe tech.
6: So actually, so yeah. So in my day job, I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm a pharmacist by trade. Okay. Um, well, by education, let's put it that way. So, but I work in product development for a pretty large company, and I actually do. I wrangle IT, sales, project managers, analytics, um, underwriting, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I, I spend my entire day in meetings
4: right.
3: um,
6: and when I'm not in meetings, I'm looking at spreadsheets um, or looking at spreadsheets and meetings. And, uh, and and that's what I do. So, yeah, I actually I love project management, actually. Well, I like being in the product development side of project management, <laughs> <laughs> let's put it that way. So but, yeah, I, I actually really like having big projects and big books like this to work on. I'm and that's why, that's why you do this guys. in your
1: free time, huh?
6: Yeah, my 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 vast free time. Yeah, I do, <laughs> and yeah, actually, yeah. There's a couple other products that I, or projects that I've kind of wrapping up in the next couple of weeks that are pretty exciting too. That, that aren't cobalt pressure related, but are but are okay. related at least.
1: Things that you can talk about or, and and let yeah. let the listeners know yeah. about.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So two two huge things actually are happening in September. Um, the first one is so I wrote an adventure path. So, I don't know. I think we're at about 300 pages when we're going to be published. Um, for Sandy Peterson. Uh, Peterson mm-hmm. Games. Sandy Peterson's the guy who actually created Call of Cthulhu.
3: Mm-hmm.
6: Back in the... Gosh, when was that? Early 80s? Yes. Um, you know, it's basically the other big RPG in the world. Um, Is Cthulhu, not... You know, right next to D&D in a lot of places. And uh, Sandy and I worked together. I co-authored it with him. And then I also was the developer on the product and wrote... Fifteen adventures and so that product is actually going on kickstarter september 9th and what system uh, is it for D. all right on so That's that'll that'll use his that. <laughs> yeah
1: but he recently published a, a D cthulhu mythos product so is, is that using that
6: It is. So yeah, Sandy Peterson's Cthulhu Mythos for fifth edition is his recent book. And this book makes use of a lot of those rules and those monsters and that kind of that, that kind of setting. So still heroic fantasy like D and D is, but there's definitely more of a horror element to it. Um, Very, very happy with it. And yeah, so act one, it's going to be four books. Act one goes on September 9th. It's only going to be, I think only a week long. It's one of those kind of micro kickstarters. So it's either a week or two weeks, no more than that. Um, and then the subsequent, the next three acts after that will be out kind of periodically throughout the year. Um, so that you, they're basically, we're, we're putting it out so that as you finish each adventure, by the time you finish the fourth adventure, the next book is out, which will be fifth, sixth, seventh. And the next book is out, which is eight, nine, ten, and so on and so forth. So pretty cool idea. Um, pretty excited about it, actually. That, that one was actually bigger than this, than Marguerite. Um, sure. The other big project I have is one that I'm even more excited about. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys both follow me on, on Twitter or not or anywhere else. Um, I know some folks do. But um, one of the things that happened um, on, Febu- on February 2nd, my youngest daughter, Harper, was diagnosed with leukemia. And we spent about three weeks in the hospital, came home, and before... We get too far. She's doing fantastic. Um, She's already in remission. We're actually going to camp this weekend for a bunch of other kids um, with cancer. And she loves D&D. She's actually in Tales of the Margrave. Oh, yeah? She is. Her and her sister both are. They are, I think it's like page 60 something. She knows it better than I do. She knows the page (laughs) that her picture, her and her her sister are both in a picture. Actually, I took it and sent it to Brian. I think Brian Sines did it um and you wrote for us. it's oh page 85 that's my girls um <laughs> and so when we got back harper actually helped me write an outline for an adventure path another one and so i talked to a bunch of folks i got uh brian suskin ben mcfarland from cobalt wolf kings helping us with some stuff too um there are 10 of us writers there's three cartographers and two or three artists so again wrangling and herding cats um but yeah we have an ap path so we're doing it on indiegogo september 3rd it is called harper's tale harper my daughter not harper the adventure league group um and it'll be an adventure path going from first to tenth level it's also a forest um written for younger kids but there's actually going to be kind of two two different storylines in harper's path or harper's tale one's more of a straightforward just kind of do your thing and kind of go to a to b to c and then there's more of a path that's more about redeeming the bad guy um so very excited very cool I'm very happy about it um and the coolest thing actually is that at the end of the um uh, at the end of the campaign i'm actually going to be donating 100 percent of the proceeds net proceeds of the campaign to friends of kids with cancer Excellent. um Yeah. So a lot of us are taking it either no pay or very little pay so that we can make sure that we donate to friends of kids. So we're going to give them a check, which everybody loves, especially Mm -hmm. an organization like that, that that needs the funding. And we're also going to be giving them books. So when we fund, we are going to also give um, I think we're I think my count, I ended up at about 100, 120 hardcover books that I'm going to hand to friends of kids with cancer to give to kids because they were kind of amazing actually they 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 gave us our best days some of our best days especially early on so
1: that's fantastic big stuff we we did all the the promotional stuff here at the (laughs) beginning at the beginning and and we'll give you a chance to (laughs) to talk about where people can find you at the end of the interview uh but really we're here uh to talk uh, on top of all those things which are super interesting and i'd love to to drill in on all that for for hours but I don't know that people want to listen to us chat for hours, (laughs) Uh, but this is, this is all about Tales from the Old Margrave, right? So let's start off with just what's the, what's the idea behind that product behind Tales from the Old Margrave?
6: Yeah. So the story, and again, I'll go, I'll try to go fast. So the Tales of the Old Margrave was a Pathfinder book about 10 years ago. My players and I were kind of getting, we're, we're doing games and different things and I have a habit of just going back and grabbing old adventures because there's so many fantastic ones and updating them and I actually wrote a couple of blog posts for Cobalt for Cobalt and I told Scott Gable over there I'm like you know what I'm going to be updating Holo- the hollow do you want me to give you a copy next thing I know Wolfgang sends me a contract to redo the entire book. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I, I know he had backup I, I think it was John Sawatsky actually um but kind of my point is, like, go out there and just ask and try. You never know. I mean, I, honestly, this I, I still am wondering if Wolfgang really knew what he was, like, doing when he gave me the shot. Because I can't think of too many people whose first professional RPG gig is a 200-page book. Right. Um, and it was. I mean, I've, I've written professionally before in nonfiction. But, yeah, that's nonfiction. That's right. not D&D role-playing games. And I've been playing since the 80s. But... It was kind of crazy, um, but the Margrave—the Margrave—is an ancient forest in Midgard. It is kind of the ancient forest. Um, it is forest that has been around since before the gods were around. When the gods were young, the forest was already there, and it has kind of placed itself in the center of, of Midgard, and it it acts as a border between a lot of the different political um, regions of of the of the of Midgard itself. So you've got Zobak. Um to the west, you've got the gosh, I'm gonna mess this up because I don't have the map in front of me. But you've <laughs> got Dornow to the north. Um, you've got Southlands, um, and then to the west you have the plains. Um, so there it's it's kind of this natural feature that has basically stopped everyone from expanding into each other's territories because it doesn't let anything in there that it doesn't want in there. Um my personal version of it which is probably a little different than wolfgang's and hopefully is a little different than everybody's is that i think of the margrave almost in the same context as you know kind of like a great old one you know i'm a i'm a cthulhu fan um it's an entity that is older and more alien than anything that really we can think of you know it Mm -hmm. is it's a forest that is hundreds of miles square miles and so it it thinks on a different scale than we do and it has different um different wants needs desires and so on and so forth um so to say it's good or bad is is kind of misleading because it's it's not really any of those things it's you know it's like the old cthulhu thing it's like you know it's kind of like an ant trying to decide calculus it just right. can't do it
1: it's funny because somebody in the review i think made that exact same uh description of the Margrave.:'
6: as, yeah, be, as that, being like not, lovecraftian you know that That is how I play it. Um, my group actually, of course, <laughs> shockingly enough, you know we play tested almost all of this, um, and I just ran them through it as I wrote it and as I did the updates, and that is very, very much how I did it um, as a kind of a very otherworldly entity that wasn't really good or bad, maybe selfish to a point, just because of course it has its own self-interest um, at heart.
3: okay.
1: So so you just took the older adventures and then and then used like more or less alone converted all of it or did you go back to the original authors or how did that work?
6: Yeah, I did all that by myself actually. Did you? Wow. <laughs> I did. I did. So it is old enough that it doesn't have and I'm going to do a little crazy tech talk here. It doesn't have good OCR, so you can't literally rip it out and throw it onto a Word doc. So yeah, I spent countless hours copying and pasting taking out the formatting, putting it back in the right kind of layout, all that junk and all that excitement. Um, So that was really just part of it, though. You know, grabbing those, I think there were eight in the original. And now with John's stuff and my stuff, I think we're either at 10 or 12 even now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I took everything. And actually, uh, myself and Kim Ohan did, and Kim's fantastic. Kim is an editor that has been an editor for TSR, WOTC. He does everything WOTC Mm -hmm. does now. Um, and actually I think Kim actually hired Wolfgang to TSR years and years and years and years ago. Um, but yeah, every adventure I went in there and, you know, most of those folks, I don't, I didn't know at the time. I know a lot of them now. And I think the only person I even mentioned, I called out cause I asked, I asked Wolfgang and later on I asked Kim, like, you know, kind of, how do you want me to do this? And they both said, you know what, go do your own thing. If you have a problem or a question, that's fine, but just go ahead and do it. Um, so I read every single one. I did some editing to get it more of a D&D feel, a fifth edition feel mm. versus Pathfinder, um, which is kind of fun or interesting because it's something that I was actually talking to another designer about today is that the, there's a pretty fundamental difference in D&D. Or I keep saying D&D, but I really mean fifth edition, fifth edition design and Pathfinder you know this was a third and a half de- edition slash pathfinder game initially and i find that occasionally pathfinder designers who are fantastic and no crunch better than i probably ever will um but it's a bit it's a different skill set and it's a different mindset so mm-hmm. there was so what you do is you end up cutting a lot out you know and i think that somebody's like well is this even new stuff And one of the things I tell them is that if I take a Pathfinder book and I change it to D&D or to 5th edition, the first thing I'm going to do is probably cut out 40% of it. Just all, I mean, it's easy. It's just deleting a bunch of numbers that don't mean anything. And then you also end up changing the way the ability checks are and just the checks in general. You know, Pathfinder has a check for everything. And 5th edition really doesn't do that. So it was really changing. um, That was kind of one of the more fun things. And probably what grew my ability or kind of grew me as a designer was re- keeping or doing everything I can to keep, you know, Richard, Pets, you know, hollow, keep his, keep what he wanted into it in there, but also adjust it so that the mechanics don't get in the way anymore. Right.
0: Yeah. Cause uh, I, um, go ahead. Because I've designed, um, I haven't designed anything fifth edition, but I did fourth and Pathfinder. Um, and the big thing with fifth to me is like, it's a looser system. So... And I think that goes along with what you're saying. So you have a lot more flexibility and also sometimes more evocative than simulationist.
6: Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, I don't know how to play fourth edition at all. (laughs) I'll just (laughs) throw that out there. I don't even know how to read a stat block in fourth edition. Um, But you're right. And I think that's a big thing is that, you know, again, I, I can't remember if it was Kim told me this or somebody else, but with a conversion of, pathfinder or three and a half or three or two or one even or whatever to fifth when in doubt delete it just mm. cut it you know cut the checkout if you're not sure just cut the checkout right and I think that actually served me really really well um and a lot of these things and it's I mean there's stuff that didn't even make it in here because we're like you know what? this just got too fidgety and we're like you know we will just not going to worry about it so mm-hmm. what kind of so, so, the creating the adventures was fun and definitely did it. But I mean, I'm kind of looking through the get. But like, so the Margrave Gazetteer, um, I wrote about 80% of that is new. Okay. Um, all Obviously, any mechanics are completely new. And I did all the mechanics. Um, the only adventures I didn't do a lot with um, were John's. So actually, John, John Swatsky did the Durendi series. Um, but yeah, everything else I did. And I, you know, it was a lot of fun. You know, the status. Section in the front was a lot of fun, a really mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, you know, and that's something, anybody that checks out Cobalt Press um, on their Facebook page or their Discord, especially the Facebook page, because Wolfgang checks that all the time, um, that actually came about because some folks asked and said, you know what, we like status, but we don't really understand how to do it very well, or we want more, we want more details on it. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, almost literally like, we we're talking to Wolfgang that night, at a meeting it's like you know what they a lot of people want this what do you think and he's like all right let's make it a stretch goal and you can write it and we did it and you know he does a pretty 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 darn good job of listening to what the folks want and then doing what we can to get it in there um you know actually yeah the status was a big one um the other big section i wrote that i really liked was all the or the encounters section mm-hmm. that's kind of at the front of the book so those were a lot of fun too
1: yeah, the the gazetteer section I think we we thought was really in, interesting and enjoyable. Uh, I know the the status section to me was was really interesting to sort of because it's because Margrave is it's a location, but it's an entity, and neither one of those are the thing that normal kind of things that normally go with status because it's right. not it's not really an organization, but it, it works in this situation. Um, in, in interesting ways. I also really enjoyed that the that the forest has a stat block, um, full full of everything that you could possibly want, except for the the numbers you need to actually kill it, because of course right. you can't. <laughs> <laughs>
6: exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was really neat. Actually, the different areas of the forest, mm-hmm. um, and all the different effects. I mean, it's I don't you know, and I I a pretty heavy consumer of D and D content. Um, I'm not aware of anything that I can think of and I, I might be wrong and I'm sure I I certainly can be that, but I'm not aware of any setting that really goes into that level of detail.
1: Mm.
6: You know, I, I don't know of something that I could think of that's, that's really that similar to it. So it's really nice. It's a really unique thing. Um, you know, and it can pretty easily be set in anywhere. You know, I know we obviously put it in Midgard, but you know, in, in any forest anywhere in any campaign can have this. Right. It's, it's, it very easily ports into something else, especially with the way this thing was written. Um, there's a lot of flexibility, especially, I mean, I will admit you probably need to have Tome of Beasts. Um, Creature Codex would be helpful, but I didn't get a lot of Codex in there because it wasn't actually published yet. So I was digging through pre-published stuff to get in there. But um, it's, yeah, it's super easy to throw into any setting you want.
1: Oh, yeah. No, we we kind of... Discussed that a little bit with the interview when we recorded it last week. And then I had my game on Friday and just completely decided to plop the Margrave right outside of Waterdeep in my Forgotten Realms uh, game.
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So
1: we're doing Dragon Heist, and, and I just decided, you know what? Uh, it wasn't there, and it's just appeared. and It's a big mystery that, that you know, the <laughs> Emerald Enclave is trying to figure out what the heck is, where the heck did this giant ancient forest suddenly come from overnight.
6: So that'll be fun. I think that's that's perfect though. I mean, so you know, Waterdeep, Douback, they're they're close enough that you can certainly interchange them. I think that's oh, sure. awesome.
0: And then um one of the other things we talked about in the review is that the book uh it does have um mythology in it, but there's a lot more Eastern European influence. Yes. And I was wondering, um, was that something you already particularly in the Gazetteer section, so was it was that something you already knew deeply? Did you look at reference materials? Like how did you approach that part of it
6: so yeah the original content was actually was very very good i mean it really really was so um you know what's so they did again they did a great job with there. i think a few things that i added were some stuff with baba yaga which actually ben mcfarland is like in a a crazy expert of baba yaga (laughs) um but again the guy the folks that did it originally did a fantastic job this you know the original um, tells the old margrave is actually the, probably the book that got Cobalt noticed the original one you know and it's definitely one that wolf king had pretty close you know close to his heart for a very very long time um i again they made my job super easy i was able to kind of do obviously i researched it and i also even researched the old products and all the old Cobalt newsletters and such you know i got a lot of those just to grab things um Part of maybe this is part of this is my pharmacist background, but I actually like to research. And so I have no problem digging through and doing a bunch of, you know, searches through PDFs and documents and stuff to try to make sure that I'm keeping things, you know, at least consistent internally. Um, yeah. And again, like I said, they did a fantastic job to begin with, which was super helpful for me. Awesome.
1: So... Uh... I guess unless Tracy has another question she wants to ask, I've got one more. So Tracy, do you have any other <laughs> things that you want to dig into?
0: I think I'm good for it right now.
1: Okay. Uh, so my, my sort of wrap-up question then is uh, what part of this book do you think everybody should probably take a closer look at that maybe is getting overlooked or you think is, was just – you know, it's, a, it's something a little more subtle that people may not otherwise catch? What do you think they should really dig into?
6: You know what? I think, and I'm not sure that it's being overlooked necessarily, but I will say that you can build, probably build an entire campaign out of the different encounter tables and the tables that are in there. And I say that, you know, if we, you know, somebody looks at them, it's like change 14, 15, 16, something like that. Um, There's actually a lot of tables in there. And the reason why I say that is because we have a lot of, you know, not a lot, but there's a fair amount of folks that like that just hate encounter random encounter tables. And I'm not calling these random encounter tables intentionally. That's actually what they're called—the bug. But I call them encounter tables because I don't actually think they should necessarily be random. Yes, I say there's a d12 because I always use d12s for count for tables, um, but they shouldn't be random. And the DM um, should look at them and use them for seeds. And you know, if we look through the ones in this table, you know, the old ones, you see 1D4 bugbears. Okay, that's awful. I'll be, I'll admit that, too. That's not useful. That's not helpful. But if you see something that says uh, something like, you know, the smell of rotten eggs leads you to a volcanic vent and a rocky outcropping. The boulders all around the vent are <coughs> deeply covered in black soot, and ash drake has its home here. So that's an encounter. I mean, it's only 40 words, if that. Um, but... That's also something that your players can spend two hours on. Mm-hmm. And there's even more of them. And they're they're all throughout. So those tables can be taken and used anywhere at all. And we kind of did them differently. We have them set geographically, like the Great Northern Road, um, the Fay of Margrave, the outskirts, the Deep Margrave. But we also even put times a day. So is it nighttime? Is it daytime mm-hmm. or, or not? And again, all these add so much depth through every single adventure and so much replayability that it allows you to do a lot of different stuff. And I mean, they go from CR one to four to 10 plus. Mm. Um, I mean, the Moonlight King is in one of them. I mean, so they're not just little again, they're not little things. Some of these are, you know, you have a quest and now you have something to do for the next two months. Uh, and they were a lot of fun i really enjoyed it um yeah actually i really really enjoyed writing those that's probably my go ahead somebody in the
1: review mentioned the the uniqueness and interestingness of those random encounter tables to the point that it made me think of them more as uh random side quest tables than they are encounter tables you know
6: oh absolutely and and you know it's something that You know, I certainly that was probably the first or obviously the first place I did them. But, you know, when I write stuff for Sandy or other stuff or Wolfgang or for anybody else, um, I actually include a lot of these type. I almost always include one table, something like this. And I, you know, somebody asked me about it once and I said, really, most of my adventures, most of the things I write, I keep it to something that I hope you can finish in an evening. And to make that flexible, these encounter tables especially give you some flexibility because an evening might be two hours. It might be six. Heck, it might even be eight if you're having a great time and you just have time. And so these tables are super useful because, you know, maybe I'm only going to write five scenes in in the adventure. But if I give you a table with 12 kind of mini adventures in it, you know, the DM Mm -hmm. can now pick and choose and do whatever, you know, he or she wants for the rest of the night. And can get a whole lot of really kind of fun, interesting thing. And again, like you said, they're all just little mini adventure hooks. Um, and I, I very, this, these were long. actually. <laughs> these these <laughs> probably took me a fair, I mean, these took a long time for me to put together. But it is probably one of the things I'm most happy about, uh, happy with how they turned out was all the different tables. Um, and like you said, they're nice little adventure hooks for folks. So you can, you can do them at any time.
0: Um, yeah. The other great thing is that in a concise area, you actually get to learn a lot more about the world, which I know you're already trying you're talking about, too, a fair bit. But um, it's really hard uh, in a adventure, which is more technical writing, to come up with, like, here's what's awake at night and here's what's awake during the day. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have these ideas of, um, like, the random encounter table or a random adventure table, um, that can help you communicate that without it being... A lot of words, like you were saying,
6: right? I agree completely. Yeah, it was. Like I said that was really probably the most fun part about it was doing that. So you can explore it, and if you just read those tables, and you know, that's probably one thing I would tell everybody: read them all. I mean, first off, I obviously I think they're interesting. I wrote them, but um, <laughs> but even if you're not going to go to a first level, you know, regardless of the campaign level that you're at read them all. Cause like you said, Tracy, you're going to get a lot of really good ideas and thoughts on what's really in there. You know, and I think that was, that was the most fun thing is I think I snuck a gug in there too, which is a Lovecraftian <laughs> nasty, nasty thing. Um, so again, it lets you know that, yeah, did, I did. It did make it past editing. I thought so. Um, <laughs> but it lets you know that Within the Margrave, these are the types of things you will see, can see, and that honestly there really aren't that many limits. You know, the especially if you look at the high level ones, you know, like one I'm seeing the Moonlit King, who is a fight basically a fae god, um, a Wraith bearer, a Mavka, Nightmare, Doolahance, Twohawks, uh, Baba uh, Yaga's horsemen show up a couple times. Baba Yaga is a is a consistent theme throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, a gug, a fearsmith, those are awesome. Um, there's a lot of really fun stuff in there. And again, you could totally write, you could play as long as you want with just those.
0: Right, right on.
1: Uh, so I think um, that's about where we want to wrap things up. Unless Tracy has anything else. Nope. Okay. We covered
0: my favorite parts.
1: Excellent. <laughs> so before we let you go, where should, and you already talked about uh, sort of upcoming products that people should look for, but where, where should people go on the internet if they want to sort of keep up with you and what you're working on and what you're doing or, just chat with you and ask you questions or whatever.
6: Sure. Uh, best place to find me is actually at Matthew D Corley, um, at Twitter. And that's, I use my name. I'm not too complicated. And I have a couple things, like I said, so I've got Harper's tale will be launching uh, Tuesday on Indiegogo. Uh, Google Island will be launching, I think on the following Tuesday on Kickstarter. Um, one product that I have that I've already written and I kickstarted last year, right after Tales of the Margrave actually, um, I actually published my own stuff under Saturday Morning Scenarios. And I wrote a gothic uh, gaslight sanitarium uh, campaign for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition called Lampslight Sanitarium, which I'm very happy with. Uh, I think it's really cool. Um, gotten great reviews. I actually got nominated for an Emmy for co- uh, cartography in it. Um, it's a very very different take on D &D and just i think it shows that you really can do a lot with the srd um which is the basic rule set Mm -hmm. um and if gothic isn't really horror isn't your thing there is a way to get you know i also wrote sanity rules because you know just be honest the the sanity Badness rules in the dmg leave a bit to leave a bit to uh to be desired and so i actually wrote some some new ones for it and Again, that's, that's kind of the other product I've got going out there. I'm trying to think what else I should plug. I feel like I've plugged a ton. That's <laughs> fine.
1: Um, well, if, if they miss anything, they can always find out more uh, through your Twitter. On Twitter.
3: Right?
6: Yep, exactly. And All I right. know that, you know, just, just for your listeners, and I think this is kind of old, not old news, but um, I know that we do have, you know, Ghoul Island is finishing up right now. Um, but I believe, you know, we've got at least one more Kickstarter coming this year. Um, Brilliant East is something that we've been talking about on the Facebook channel and Discord. Um, Brilliant East, is it goes eastern. Um, and we did a, you know, that was something Brian Siskin Ben McFarland did a lot of work on. I helped them with it as well. Wolfgang helped them as well, right? Um, and it explores the eastern re- uh, regions. Um, I don't even think they're actually on the map yet that right. Anna has at Cobalt. So so it's like the Midgard version worked.
1: of, like, Oriental Adventures or Carateur or that kind of thing.
6: Yeah, it is. Okay. So it will be the size. I'm. I bet it'll be the size of the Midgard book. It is not a small book. Okay. Uh, so it's a Southlands-like product. Yes, exactly okay. like that. Right. Um, and we did a. We tried very, very hard to be very aware of and conscious of more of the actual Eastern cultures. You mm-hmm. know, where character and and Oriole Ventures was a bit of a. Um, I don't know the right word right now. Um, Stereotypical. Yeah, it was a little bit of a stereotype of things. Um, Brilliant East is not. It is very, very uh, honest to the region, and I think everybody will be really happy with it when it comes out.
1: Okay. I look forward to checking it out, and thanks for joining us.
6: Yeah, thank you both. I appreciate it. Anytime.
0: You're welcome.
1: And that's the end of the episode.
0: We'd like to say thank you to listeners who support the show by using our affiliate links with Amazon and DMs Guild, as well as those who support us directly on patreoncom slash the like Jill Sanders, Jeremiah McCoy and Doug Palmer. And we'd also like to thank our guests. Uh, Quinn, where can folks find you on the internet?
4: Um, these days you can find me uh, uh, being a loudmouth on Twitter at QH uh, Murphy and uh, thought crime Um, and uh, yeah, yeah uh, I also can I mention the magic stuff? You know, mentioned probably.
1: everything and anything, okay. man.
4: Okay. Um, I, I also um um write about uh, a small card game, um that folks might have heard of called Magic Gathering, um uh, and I uh, uh I'm on there on dailymtg.com and uh, yeah,
2: that's where I'm at.
0: Awesome. And Jeremiah. Uh,
2: well, I'm at jeremiahmccoy.com for a a lot of the videos I post and uh, occasional links to some of the things that I've been writing, and uh, you can follow me at at technoir, that's T-E-C-H-N-O-I-R on uh, Twitter, and I ramble quite a bit about gaming stuff, and occasionally not-so-gaming stuff.
0: Sweet. And Ishmael?
3: Uh, Yes, you can find me on Twitter under Elven Wizard King, uh, because that's easier to spell than my real name. Uh, (laughs) And I do a lot of uh, products for fifth edition fantasy uh, for Fat Goblin Games, the most recent of which was 8-Bit Fantasy Fungal Kingdom Adventures, which is protected under parody. You can figure out what we're parodying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's excellent. Uh, If you want to get a hold of the show, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H. That's at Squatch. You can tweet Tracy. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H and dark magic like dark magic. Uh, And you can tweet the show at The Tome Show. All three of those on Twitter.
0: And that's episode 324, where we made friendly like with the trees and fought a hive of bees in this episode of. I'm on the wall.